Hi everybody, my guest today is guitarist Adam Goldsmith. Adam is a veteran when it comes to sessions, including films and TV and West End musicals, artists and many more. Here's what he had to say. Hi Adam. Hello Chris, how are you? I'm, mate, I'm, I'm fine and I'm glad that you're here with me today doing this. Thank you very much for your time, I appreciate you're it. You're very welcome, thanks for asking. I just want to give a little bit of context before we start because um, I've been very much a latecomer to the world of Gretsch guitars and they are amazing and fantastic. But I didn't play one until uh, a few years ago. Now I first met you when I came in to do a load of depths on Beautiful, the Carol King musical. You were on the guitar yeah. one chair and you would always play this really nice Gretsch. And we had a lot of chats over the, the time that I was coming in that show and we talked a lot about 335s and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, long story short, what I'm trying to get at is when that show closed, I actually got offered a load of depths on the tour for Robbie, our friend. Robbie. Oh, right, okay, yeah, cool. And uh, it was the guitar one chair, essentially what you'd been playing. And I thought, I'm going to need a Gretsch. I've never really played one, though. Mm. So I found uh, a 6120 left-handed, mm. and I went to try one out at Peach Guitars. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but bizarrely enough, I was sat in the room playing this through a nice little amp, and you walked past the room and you were there. Really? Yeah. Do you not remember? Oh, no. Yes, I do remember. Yeah. No, I do. It was when they moved to Colchester, wasn't it? It wasn't the old school. <laughs> yeah, I do remember now. Um, uh, it was, um, I was, I was buying something else. Yeah, of course. But it was yeah. just like, if there was ever a meant to be moment for me to buy a guitar, <laughs> okay, it was right yeah. there and then. And you were yeah, like, yeah, that's the guitar. That's the guitar that you want. I was like, great. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't remember the conversation, but I do remember, I do remember that. Yeah. So random. bizarre. So yeah. bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, and, and man. Wasn't, also, wasn't there Ni um, Nigel from Sewer Guitars was there at the same time? Was that the same day? I kept bumping into people at John's shop. Yeah, it could have been. It's well, bizarre, I think it was the same thing. It was like, hi, hi, oh, what's going on? <laughs> was, yeah. Yeah, amazing. And that, that guitar is right behind you right now, isn't it? Your one. The, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. That's brilliant. I love that guitar. It doesn't get <clears> used very often, but I do love it. They're really good. Yeah, like I say, I, I was, I've been a real late coming to the Gretsch thing, but and they've been kind enough to send me a load um, to try out for all these videos that I've been doing and stuff. And I'll tell you one thing, man, the, even the cheaper ones, I've got a streamliner here, which I like so much that I've, I'm, I'm actually going to buy it off of them because they're, even the lower end ones are amazing. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, they're really good. I, I actually find that Gretsch seem to be one of the, the, the guitars because when I, when I go, buy Gibsons or Fenders, mostly I haven't found anything that is good as the old ones. Mm. But Gretsch, um, I haven't played that many old ones, but the ones I have played, it's like they don't stay in tune. It's like they're a little bit of a pain in the ass. But that, because it's the, um, which one is it? Chet Atkins one. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's the player's edition, I, I think right. they call it, or something like that. And so it's got the string through Bigsby. Yes. Which is, um, if anyone has ever tried to change the strings on a non-string through Bigsby, it's a, it takes weeks. It's a complete pain. See, that's out. what I heard because mine's the same with the string through oh. thing. But didn't you used, used to have used pins or something like that for the ball? Yeah, you have to wrap them around. It's a total sketch. And then uh, without the locking tuners as well, you know, I think that they're better from mm. the old ones that I've played. I mean, maybe there's a sound from some of the old ones, but I, I'm really happy with that. It works. Yeah. And the Filtertron pickups and all that. Amazing. Really good. Really good. Yeah. Great, man. Listen, uh, let's go back right to the beginning for you, if we can. 
uh, I know you've done obviously a hell of a lot. And if we were to talk about everything, we'd be here for probably a couple of days. But I want to go back to the early days for you. And quite simply, what was it that made you pick it up in the first place? And did it come from, was it any of your family musical? Where did, and who were your inspirations? I guess early inspirations. Um, well, uh, so the first two albums that I ever owned, basically, have, have sort of stayed with me today. Not specifically those albums, but kind of the styles of music that they represented. Uh, uh, and I had them, they were cassettes, and my mum bought them for me on uh, when I was in primary school. Uh, one of them was Run DMC, Raising Hell, and the other one was um, Iron Maiden, Somewhere in Time. Nice. So uh, th- uh, for me, it's like it doesn't really get much better. <laughs> you know? sure. uh, uh, and also Queen, I guess, were a huge influence, uh, uh, like our kind of age group. I mean, yeah. I don't know about you, but I, I watched their live at Wembley, the 86 concert, not the Live Aid one, but the, the Kind of Magic tour. Yeah. I think that's basically before I picked up a guitar, I, I was sort of learning how to play it, if you see what sure. I mean by that concert i just watched watched it constantly I had it on vhs i had that star wars and live aid <laughs> which what i just more do you want what yeah. more do you want yeah and exactly. nothing's changed so uh um so yeah i, I guess queen maiden uh and run dmc i guess were like very Great. early influences yeah. but i also had my mum's a classical piano player so i started to play classical piano when i was seven um uh which i was at um, but I did learn how to read music, which right. later on came in very handy. Um, uh, so, yeah, and then my dad was into the Beatles and the Stones. So I had a lot of influences, really, which nice. I think has probably resulted in, you know, what I do for a living, really, which is generally playing lots of different styles. Yeah. And um, I, I think that sort of thing, when you've got such a varied range of music that not necessarily that you're playing when you're so young but you're listening to it falls into your subconscious you know i mean you take that with you on the journey that you go on Uh, did you have lessons or were you self-taught when it came to uh well i had uh the piano lessons uh so classical piano lessons um i had a few different teachers i like in retrospect i think that a lot more of it went in than i thought went in you know what i mean because you do learn to read music and you learn basic harmony really you know how the keyboard works uh but guitar i didn't start till i was about 13 uh, uh, maybe 12 i had an acoustic guitar and my dad just showed me you know the basic open position chords and i worked out i remember the evening that i did it it was like it was completely magical moving the the open e from the e position up to the fifth and then the seventh and you got this kind of cool nice sort of uh you know i, mean, I was 12 i thought it was amazing yeah uh, like sort of rocky sounding thing you know, yes I, I literally i can remember it um that's basically the uh i can see for miles riff isn't it by the who yeah 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 exactly yeah yeah, yeah it is yeah um and yeah so i was self-taught for quite a while on guitar but with the aid of my dad so we sort of uh he'd show me some shapes and we played through so my parents were divorced um about a year or two up. yeah they were divorced by then i used to go over to my dad on the weekends and on the Friday nights, we'd play through the Beatles songbook. Great. And he was like, um, there's like a, a uh, I guess like a working class kind of work ethic that he's got. So he was like, as he's from Birmingham, he's sort of born on a council estate in, in Birmingham. And he was always very, um, always, it always seemed, I mean, in retrospect, it was brilliant. Like he wanted me to be able to make a living. Sure. You know what I mean? 
So he was like, right, if you want to do this for a living, you're going to need to read music, you know, because he'd done it a little bit in his 20s. He was quite a good musician, actually. He played bass as well. And um, uh, so he used to make me read through the Beatles songbook. So I, I knew the Beatles songs through our versions before I knew yeah. the originals as well. So I, uh, so that was kind of how I learned. I didn't have formal guitar lessons until I was about 15 or 16, I don't think. Okay. A lo- local jazz player. He, so he, he really introduced me to sort of Pat Metheny and Larry Carlton and those kind right. of guys. Called, uh, his name is Hugh Turner, uh, who was and is a completely brilliant, out there, great funk jazz guitar player. Right. Um, I'd love to see him, actually. Yeah, yeah, if amazing. this, hello, Hugh. You're my hero. That's um, So, yeah, that was it, really. Um, as you got older, like you say, you started to uh, progress into different styles and you start to find I think at that point more heroes like say Pat Metheny people like that was there anyone else around that time that was more of an influence on you than than it had been before um all the obvious rockers I guess at first so like in that kind of era I guess it was Steve Vai and Joe Satriani were the big names what were the you once told me you don't have to repeat it now if you don't want to but you once told me what happened with there was a conversation between your mum and Joe Satriani or something. <laughs> the hell do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, that, uh, yeah. I remember she took me to see a Joe Satriani gig, but I, I must have been fourteen or something. Yeah, that was Hammersmith Odeon, maybe. I can't even remember. And um, I went back uh, round the back to get an autograph. You know, I had a little Ibanez T-shirt. I wanted to get it autographed, and um, so I met him. Um, and then I walked off and I was like, where's my mum gone? And I turned around and there's my mum talking to Joe Satriani. I was like, that's, that's the most surreal yes. bit. Because she'd heard all this music oh, she was so as well. So she'd heard it over the years and she, she liked it. So she was like, yes, I'm going to go meet Joe Satriani. Oh, <laughs> so, she did. so I can still see that as well. I was like, why is my mum talking to Joe Satriani? That's the weirdest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. Especially when you're 14 as well, because you're like, no, no. <laughs> Oh, that's the best story. I can't believe you remember that. Yeah, I do. I I vividly remember you telling me that. Um, (laughs) So where did, listen, where did it go after that? You know, after you learned your craft for a while and you're, what I'm trying to move on to is how you sort of thought I might be able to make a go of this in terms of making a living and how did it have first bands and, you know, whatever. um, Well, so here's the thing. I think in, in those days, I mean, you'll know really the career path wasn't there was no definition to it I, first of all i never considered not doing it for a living right i didn't ever think that i would have to get a, excuse me i didn't ever think that i would have to get a job i just thought i'm a guitar player you know in retrospect that's quite cool but i never considered it at the time i was just like yeah i play guitar that's what i do you know um and in those days as well you uh obviously there was no internet you know or maybe there was but no one used it, no. you know, uh, even up to when I, I guess we're a pretty similar age and even up till, you know, sort of, I don't know, sort of 20 years ago, really, it was like, uh, you sort of, you maybe had a Hotmail account, maybe you checked your email, but there was no YouTube, there was no Instagram, no, no Facebook. I mean, it was much better, essentially. Sure, yeah. Um, uh, uh, so you just, you just picked up the phone. You just joined the band. I was in a death metal band at school. Um, that was my first band. Nice. Uh, it was like sort of Sepultura, and we couldn't find a drummer who could sort of keep up with us. So it was all programmed <laughs> drums. Like, uh, it was brilliant. I loved it, though. We thought we were like, I don't know, 
whatever a big deal yeah yeah you know but uh um so yeah so that was my first band i was also in a a band at the same time which was more like the smashing pumpkins we were really into them as well so a couple of those things and then um and then the local youth jazz orchestra at the same time as you do yeah as you do so uh, it was just a succession of random events and i think that now i mean this is a separate topic to to the one that you've raised really but i think it's People that I know now, so through teaching, who are sort of, uh, you know, around 20, early 20s, just starting out or doing their degrees or whatever, they've, they've almost got business plans. They go, right, this is my social media profile, and this is this, and this is my YouTube channel, this is that. And I guess that's just the way the world is now. But I, I don't know about you, I'm actually probably similar. You just sort of end up doing it, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I sort of slightly begrudgingly as well, because uh, I mean, yeah like we were just having a conversation before we started this about the reason that we're having this chat today. I, I didn't ever expect to be starting a YouTube channel, you know, but you yeah. sort of just go with the flow and yeah, yeah, why not? You know what I mean? Because like you yeah. say, but if you're not doing it, everybody else is, and that's just the way the world is. But uh, yeah, there was no, I, I don't know. It, it becomes too, I think, I don't know. I'd like to think it's the, the kids today, uh, you know, it's too formulated is what I'm trying to say. Well, it shouldn't have yeah. to be, you know, just let it, just let it go. Like we were when we were, God, it makes us sound old, but you know, when we were younger and we were coming up and we were doing it, just go out and do it. You know, don't have a plan because there is no plan essentially. It, well, it doesn't work anyway. No. You know, I, 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 every time I, I've tried to make a plan, anything to do with the music business, it has failed spectacularly. Every sure. single time I've gone like, oh, I'd like to do that gig. You know, I, I don't do it very often. Um, especially not in comparison to a lot of people, you know, it was like uh, uh, every, every time I've gone, you know, if I've known somebody's doing a gig and I've sent them an email saying, look, if you're looking for a guitar player, I'd be really interested. I've probably only done it. Well, up to the handful of times in my entire life, it's never worked. So I never do sure. it. No. It doesn't work. And every time you wait for the sort of, without sounding like a hippie, like the stars to align and it just comes to you, the, the right thing. Yes. Comes to you. I, I don't think you can ever insert yourself into musical situations that you want to be in. No, and also me, my experience doesn't work. No, I, I, and I'm the same in that you, you know, you have a. I think you, everyone has some sort of path in front of them. You know, wh- whatever you believe in, there's something laid out in front of you, and then sometimes you think you try and deviate from that, but it never comes to anything. It never comes no. to fruition. But you always no. get sent back on this path that you're on for yourself. Yeah, I, th- I think that's really true. I, I, especially in the last couple of years, I've really noticed that. Um, I th- yeah i mean i can't put it better than you just put it it's it just if you try and deviate from the path that is sort of set out for you then uh it just doesn't work no it doesn't work yeah so um when did you um do you remember your first paid gig yeah it was in my death metal band it was five quid at the after dark club in reading nice yeah nice. i don't think we ever got paid i think it was supposed to but i don't actually remember getting my five pounds <laughs> And moving on from the after the death metal band and the Smashing Pumpkins style band, where did you go from there? Uh, did you go into further uh, education with it as well? I did. I yes, I did a classical music degree. Um, I went to Birmingham, did a, a straight degree, classical degree, um, and I was doing National Youth Jazz Orchestra at the same time. Um, and so, technically, I've got a degree in classical music. It, I know zero. I know nothing about classical music. I don't know how that degree gets awarded because it's like literally, this is meaningless. Um, uh, I quite enjoyed it, but it's, it just meant a few years to practice, really. Oh. And N- N- Nigel was really the place I think I learned to play more. Yeah, that was more college for me. Okay. Uh, and then I did a jazz postgrad at the Royal Academy. 
and then here we are. Sure. Basically. That's yeah. it. Well, thanks for coming today. And uh... okay, all right, nice, nice talking to you guys. <laughs> no man, there's so much there. Uh, what happened after that? After you graduated, like, how did you start getting the work essentially? And what do you remember? What your first sort of bit of, uh, I don't know, should we call it pro bit of work was? And you know, um, well, I, I guess it, a lot of it comes from Nigel. I, I think Nigel has probably changed a bit now. Um, they're, they're, now they're, I was actually talking to um, Winston Rollins, trombone player, a good friend of mine who I've known for ages. Winston helped me get some of my first bits of work. I met him in my early 20s, and he's right. suggesting me for Pete Long's band and things like that. And um, uh, But uh, Nigel then, you just sort of turned up. The reason why I'm mentioning Winston, sorry, is Winston is now, I don't know what his official title is, but he um, uh, is like a one of the musical directors for Nigel. Right. Okay. Basically. I um, and it, yeah, he is. I think it's relatively new, but he was saying it's very formalized now. There's audition processes and there's certain criteria, which you have to meet. There's all sorts of humps. you have to, uh, humps? Hoops you have to jump through um, because they're government funded and it's like an arts council thing. Uh, and there's, and there's a whole host of paperwork, but then you just turned up. And if you had the nerve to sort of stand in front of Bill and try and sight read the guitar feature, you might they probably let you do a gig, you know, and then you went sure. to the pub afterwards. And if you could sort of hang out and everyone liked you, you sort of did the gig. And that, that was it. Um, so Nigel was a big part of it. I think finally, to answer your question, I think uh, out of Nigel, it was Pete Long's bands. They were like uh, uh, jazz big bands. He had a band called, oh yeah, I do remember actually. Um, I was doing Nigel gig and Pete Long uh, runs the Ronnie Scott's Jazz Orchestra now. Um, he was on the Nigel gig. He's older than me, but he was sort of guesting. And he came up to me after the gigs. I played a bit of banjo on the Nigel gig. And he said, what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, well, don't know. You know, it was like, however, 22 or something. So obviously I wasn't really doing very much. And um, he said, we need a banjo player to come to Spain with Echoes of Ellington, his Duke Ellington tribute band. So I went there and then I ended up depping on uh, his, I think it was his West End show through that which was Soul Train right. um, uh, with Sheila Ferguson from, what was she from? Is it the Three Degrees? I can't remember. Maybe. Um, um, and uh, so, yeah, it's sort of spiraled from there. And, and so really it's all from Nigel, I think. And also the Pop Idol big band, which the, that was the big first biggest, biggest commercial thing that I did, I think was Pop Idol. Um, so they had a big band. It was the Will Young and Gareth Gates. It was a big deal then. It was that. It was the first series. Um, uh, and I think that and Big Brother came out about the same time. So it was really the first, ad, probably not the first, but it felt like that whole reality TV thing had really taken a surge. Sure. Uh, um, so we did an album and a tour, and there were big venues. It was like Wembley and, you know, the, the arenas around the country and, uh, uh, and a few of the TV shows. So I guess it was that. Really, Nigel and then Pop Idol, I think they were the two big nice. things. And then from there, I did some depths for, oh, like depths on Stars in Their Eyes TV series. <clears throat> I knew Ray Monk, who was the TV MD from Pop Idol. And uh, so, yeah, and then it just sort of went from there. Yeah, so it was all starting to fall into place. And obviously, you know, yeah. you do one, you move on to the next, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. That, that yeah. was your in and that was your first, yeah. was your first bit. I'm also going to say, I'm sure I remember you telling me when you did the Pop Idol thing, uh, that was when you first met Deptford John, the guitar legendary guitar tech, or am I wrong? You've got an amazing memory. Yeah, I try to. 
Yes, Deptford John. Yeah, yeah, he was really legend. funny. Yeah, he was funny. I haven't seen him since then, I don't think. I haven't seen uh, him he was, time. he was brilliant because I was so green. I was like literally 22. I didn't really drink. I didn't smoke. I didn't do anything. You know, I was like really well behaved, quite shy as well. And, um, and uh, uh, he'd been on tour with a band called Dogs Damour. Yes, I, I remember them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like a rough around the edges. Like, I think they, I think they were a British rock and roll yeah. band. Anyway, and he said, he said, so what do you want then? Like, he was really friendly to me. Like, he sussed me out really quickly. I was like, really green music college, well behaved, you know. And he said, what do you want then? And I said, I don't know. I've never had a guitar tech before. What can I have? And he went, well, how often do you want your strings changing? I went, I don't know. Once a month. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Can you come around uh, my house and do it? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, I don't know what to say. You know, like, I suppose, I don't know, whenever they need changing. So he obviously had the probably the easiest gig in the world. Yeah. Because he was like, and then at the end of the tour, he said, uh, um, he said when he was on tour with Dogs Down More, which he just come off and then come to me, he had like little um, specific bits in the, uh, in the, in the rest of the songs when he had to chop out lines of coke and stuff and like like but, but bits of uh like glasses of whiskey and like all and like it was a whole <laughs> was like, what the <laughs> can i swear am i allowed to swear is that it's fine okay? it's fine i'll take oh, it out fine. after i'll take it out after. oh fine um, i won't swear um, no it's fine so, so he um so yeah it, it was like a whole it wasn't really to do with guitars either it was always like what sort of drinks had to be where at what point <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, and I because I was 22 I was like what can we go back and do that again I <laughs> 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 asked for some different things but so but he was absolutely lovely he he was so nice and so professional and so brilliant um and I'd love to see him again yeah um, so would I he's a top up. geezer and, and then we met um uh Steve Harris from Iron Maiden was backstage at Wembley Nice. I remember, and he <laughs> he really didn't want to talk to me. Like I remember, I went up to him. I don't. I think in retrospect, I took it. I took it personally at the time, but in retrospect, I think he might just be a quiet guy, maybe. Yeah. Um, and I went up to him. I went, "You're Steve Harris, aren't you?" And um, uh, and John was there, which is the reason why I remember it. And he went, "Yeah," like that, because he brought his daughters to see the Pop Idol gig. Okay. I can't imagine it was his favourite music. And um, uh, I went. Oh, I, I was a guitar player in the band. And he just went. All right. <laughs> oh no! I think just quite. It was probably absolutely. You know, when you're that age, everything's about you as well. You know, so like, uh, it, uh, and I got him to sign the sign the thing, and uh, John put it put his signature in my case guitar. Oh, case that's cool. That's great. Cool. That's I loved it. It was like being a kid. Yeah. Great man. Um, so you 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 were uh, things have started happening for you at this point. So you started, like you say, around this time. That's when you started doing the shows in London as well. Uh, sort of depping a bit on shows. A bit later, yeah, yeah. What sort of came first for you? Was it the the session more more of the session stuff uh, or the shows? Like where did it progress? Oh, sessions. Okay, really? so tell me, do you remember your first session and how it came about and what it was? The first one when I remember thinking, well, bigly was the stars in their eyes stuff, which is about the same time. I would have been early twenties. Um, I was stepping for a guitar player called Mitch Dalton, who is a legendary session player, really. Um, he was sort of our Tommy Tedesco, really. Right. Um, he's, you know, he's, he's still working. And uh, he was, you know, my hero when I was when I was in my early 20s as well. And uh, uh, I was stepping for him in Ray Monk's TV band on the Stars in the Rise. So there was the other guitar player was Colin Green, who 
is similarly legendary. Great guitar player, the most phenomenal sight reader I've ever seen in my life on guitar. Um, uh, and I, yeah, I definitely mentioned Andy Pask on bass, Brett Morgan on drums, uh, Trevor Moore, Trevor Brown, sorry on keys, who I think he moved to Mallorca or or something. Uh, Ray was the MD. Uh, yeah, I think that was it. Because you were depping on that, did you how like how daunting was it? I was terrified because in those days as well, you didn't know what you were going to do. It was all about the reading. So you never got sent parts. That didn't happen. So I didn't, up until the day, I didn't know what I was playing. So, because they'd all be doing it for years. And I was, yeah. a, you know, a child really in comparison to them. They're all 20 years older than me. Um, and uh, yeah, at least 20 years older than me in retrospect. I, I was terrified. I didn't sleep the night before at all, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, and all sessions were like that when I was that age. They were terrifying because you never knew what you were doing. Now, fifty uh, percent of the time, now I'll get sent parts. Someone will send me a Dropbox thing and be like, yeah. "If you want to have a look at the parts, they're here." And, and which sort of takes, kind of takes the fun out of it in a way. But at the same time, ultimately, it sounds better because you end up having a look. So you think, oh, "I might do that yeah. here and there." You know, uh, I know what gear to bring and stuff. But then it was just like you brought all your gear, and you didn't know what you were going to be doing. So it was terrifying. Yeah, I can imagine. But my whole twenties, I was terrified. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet, I bet. Um, can you give us like a almost like a best of, like your most memorable sessions over the years? What have been your favourite ones to do? Uh, memorable. Uh, it's more about the. I, I remember when I was in my twenties, like wanting to work with the older session guys was really memorable. It doesn't sound as that glamorous, to, you know. You're, lay person on the street but i mean even sitting next to mitch was for me i mean he probably thought I, i'm pretty sure he thought i was a pain in the ass but like um for me it was like sitting next to tommy tedesco you know so that was brilliant i mean and working you know like the guys i've just mentioned and then i well it was a little maybe a couple of years afterwards started working with steve pierce and ralph salmons and we worked for one particular md and that for me that was a that was brilliant. You know, when you're that age to be working with the people who are generation or two ahead of you in the job sure. that you want to do was, was amazing. But in terms of profile, I, I mean, I did, I debt for Dean Parks in Gloria Estefan's band for a bit in, um, when she did Europe. So we did a, a few keys around Europe and we did one at the Albert Hall, uh, where, and there was one bit where, um, and we played some of the music from, you know, the, uh, Miami sound machine and, her pop tunes. Nice. Uh, and, we had Greg Fields on drums, who was Frank Sinatra's drummer. And there was one bit when it was, I had to go out the front and play a duet with Gloria, who is the world's nicest person as well. And wow. I remember going, okay, that's it. Yeah, yeah. right there. You're gonna, you have to remember that, you know, that's, yeah. this is amazing, you know. Um, because she's huge. I mean, not only in, you know, in the world that we know, but also the, uh, you know the 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 spanish speaking world her her record sales are phenomenal mm. i mean uh, it's uh, quite easy not to notice it so much sure. in england i guess but it's enormous you know yeah. she's huge in that she's just as big there you know so it's like um yeah with her that was that was a big moment i mean uh uh yeah profile i guess uh, um i get for tom longworth actually oh yeah a couple of times in in Robbie Williams band, and that was for me. That was really cool. I nice. enjoyed that. I haven't done my my live CV is not as big as 
uh, as some other people. So for me, something like that was really, really enjoyable, like doing the Angels solo. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was really fantastic. And Tom's a great player, so I had, like, um, it's quite big shoes to fill, really. Yeah. You know, I, I remember just before that solo, this was a terrifying moment, um, my, uh, my electricity went down on my um, pedal board. I looked down. And I've just, I'd never played that tune with Robbie before. And I was just about to go, and I looked down, all the, uh, uh, all the lights had gone out. And I was like, that's what, what am I going to do now? So literally as my foot went down, it just gone off for a minute. I thought, right, I'm just going to have to, uh, <laughs> you know, if there's an atheist equivalent of prey, I'm going to have to do it now. You know, yeah, sure. just as my foot went down, the lights came back on and I played it and it was like, that that was pretty terrifying. Um, so yeah, that, that were cool. some live moments, things like that, are really memorable. I did a little tour with Seal as well, which was that was really great. Like playing some of his stuff. Yeah, I bet. Uh, again, it was only a few gigs. It was around the same time as I did that Gloria Estefan tour, and so those two things, I felt I felt good about myself. You know, then um, that was really good because he sort of got, you know like when you're a bit younger, you sort of oh, I've arrived. You know, and obviously after a while, you just go, well, that was cool wasn't it? You, you know, <laughs> what are you doing next week? You're playing at somebody's wedding, aren't you? So shut up. <laughs> you know? Hey, you um, take the rough with the smoother. That's what oh, it's all mate, about. Well, That's a hundred percent what it's yeah. all about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, there's been a few things, you know, also just getting better. You know? Yeah, of course. Of course. That's, on the, yeah. on the recording side of it though, is, you know, perhaps where you excel more and you've done more because you've done, I mean, everything TV, like you say, even recently you've done some TV. You do TV all the time. Um, you're that face that you see on the Saturday night shows and whatever when there's a band there. You're always there. But I wanted to talk a little more about some of the film stuff that you've done because, you know, I, I love movies and stuff like that. I remember, I could be wrong, but this might be another one of my good memory things. I remember watching the film uh, Three Billboards Outside of Missouri, I think it's called. Yeah, yeah. Great yeah. film. Yeah. Some great nylon stuff in there as I'm watching it. Just some, it was you, wasn't it? Uh, well, most of it is not me. Uh, okay. I, I am, well, yeah, I, I, I played quite a lot on it, but there's, I think, all the sort of the country slidey stuff, the feet, the featured stuff is Hugh Burns. Um, okay. I did, I did like, there's a, uh, I played some nylon stuff and uh, quite a lot of mandolin. Yeah, that's what I remember so, yeah, vividly. I, the nylon. Oh well, 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 thanks very much. Yeah, so that, yeah, that, that, yeah. Um, Hugh, Hugh did majority. Of, well, not maybe not majority. But yeah, I think he was the main guitar player. But I did again. I did uh, maybe two or three sessions on that. So it's quite a lot on there. Um, but the the sort of the country Americana stuff, which is synonymous with that film, is Hugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, but yeah, I did mandolin and nylon string. Amazing. I got the geeky chair. He got the cool. Yeah, chair. yeah, fine. Yeah, take it. Why not? Um, yeah. And you also do a lot of stuff for Disney as well, don't you? I have worked for Disney quite a lot in the last year, actually. Um, I'm not I very rarely get employed directly by them. It's usually by somebody who is working for Disney. So sure. it's kind of a coincidence. But yeah, I've done a lot in the last couple of years, a lot for Disney, actually. Is yeah. there? Uh, can you name drop any films that, uh, that have already come out that you've done stuff for? <clears throat> Uh, honestly, I can't think off the top of my head. There's been quite a few. Um, it, well, actually, in the in the last couple of years, there's been a lot of. Uh, it's much less glamorous, but there's been loads of sessions because they're Disney and they've got the budget for a big orchestral sessions at Abbey Road. Sure. 
where they record the music for their um, uh, theme parks. Right. That, that's been quite an industry, actually. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. They do, it, they do it all over here. Like, it's not... Um, I think indirectly, a lot of the films are for Disney, whether you know it or not. Like, yeah. I've just done a TV series, which I won't talk about because it's not out yet. I think there's some sort of press thing. But um, uh, And I was working for FX, the TV company, yeah. the American TV company, and um, they're ultimately owned by Disney. So a lot of the time, uh, at that kind of level, you are actually working for Disney, yeah. whether you know it or not. You know? Sure. You get to do these sessions uh, most of the time at Abbey Road, which is... Awesome. Uh, awesome. A lot of the films, are Abbey, Abbey Road or Air, usually. Yeah, film yeah. Film, yeah. And uh, some of them are quite big, obviously quite orchestral sometimes as well. Mm-hmm. Does it ever get yeah. daunting when uh, there's that many people in a room? Every time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it depends what it, you know, what what your guitar part looks like, really. If it's simple rhythm guitar or something, I mean, it's still got to have your game face on, you know, but it's not daunting. Um if you're sat in the orchestra, if you're in the booth, it's kind of you're in your own little world. It's not so bad. But if you're sat in an orchestra and you have to play a little classical guitar solo, yeah, um, sometimes that's a bit daunting. It used to be more daunting for me when there was no click, um, which you know is not that regular on films. But sometimes things might be recorded with no with no click because you have to follow a classical conductor. Sure, and they have a very different way of working you know like rhythm section you know if you're in a jazz group that would be like oh do you know yeah. and, like, and you know where the beat is it's pretty yes. obvious but with classical conductors they have a way of conducting we've sort of it starts with them and they will do <clears> i don't i don't know anything about it you know like they'll, they'll make some grand gesture and it'll yeah. come out like a wave from the first violin to the back of the orchestra so it's like um that for me is daunting because i, sure. I have to be certain that i'm playing in the right place yeah you know, that's quite difficult um, but when there's a click, it's not it's not that daunting as long as you can play. I, I mean, what I try to do is, especially with films, is it, usually it's about, it's, again, it sounds a bit hippie-ish, but like, usually it's a, about some sort of emotion when you're playing. Yeah. And there's a lot of like single string nylon guitar playing in, in films, you know. Um, so if you can see what's going on on the screen, that's great. Sometimes you can see the you know, the rough cut or whatever it is that you're playing to. And you think, all right, I mean, I, I remember doing that one of the Bridget Jones films and I could see that it was a love scene. It was Renee Zellweger and um, that fellow, uh, Colin Firth. Yeah. Um, they're, they're having a love scene and I could see what it was. So you kind of, it's a very simple part, but I try and, again, without sounding self-indulgent, try and get involved in the emotion of what's happening there and play for the film. So sure. I, I find that as long as as long as you focus on something which is external to yourself, then it gets rid of the um, gets rid of the terror. Yeah, yeah, of course. And you'd st- you know, yeah, you're still able to overcome that, and you know, in in doing so, you're able to put some soul and feel and passion into what. Yeah, you're that's really the point. Uh, I mean, yes. it's it, it's interesting actually. I, mean, I don't know if I go off on tangent, but I have, when I have people come here for lessons, they all a lot of the young guitar players, a lot of people will come to me for tips about sight reading. And they're like, right, so I want to do sessions, so I need to sight read. And I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah, fine. But sessions, uh, for me, it's not about reading. I don't ever think about reading. But every, there seems to be a common conception with the younger generation that you've got to be this like laser sight reader. And I sort of think, yeah, you do have to be able to read, but that's fine. Anyone can do it. You just have to do some practice. It's not hard. You know, sure. you just have to do a bit every day. But really, that's for me, it's not the point. The point is, it's like the... Um, 
the intent and the musicality and the, yes. uh, the soul of what you're playing and being able to access that quickly in the studio, you know, say if you are in a, like a commercial environment, being able to access that musicality quickly rather than it taking you 400 takes to, to, to get that, you know. Yeah. So cybering is just a means to an end. I've, I found that that's the thing that comes up a lot as a common misconception in my humble opinion. Yeah, well, I, I think it can also be transferred to, you know, all the theatre stuff, all the musicals. It's not about, like you say, exactly that, not so much about the reading. It's about making it sound good, making it sound yeah. soulful and doing it consistently. 100%. It's 100%. Uh, no, no. Guitar players are the only people that care about reading because it's like some mysterious art. With yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no one else cares. No one yeah. cares. Who cares? It doesn't matter. It's like it's what, you're, what you sound like that matters. How you get there is up to you. Yeah, exactly. Which moves us on to all the theatre stuff. You know, we touched on it earlier, but... Um, give us a highlight of some of your favourite musicals that you've uh, played in. Uh, well, Beautiful was brilliant. Yeah, it was a we, great show. That's where it? we met first, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, they were I just from an outsider looking in, really, as a depth coming in. Uh, you know, it was just every time I did that show, it was so much fun and great, mm. great songs. You know what I mean? What a catalogue yeah. of songs they were to play. And for you doing it all the time, it must have been amazing, you know? Really good, really good. I mean, it was also such a great band. Yeah, yes. Wilkinson on drums and Steve Fierce on bass. Uh, that's a really, you can't get better than that, really. No, um, no. And it was a privilege, like I say, for me to come in and do it, you know, with you guys, it really was. Oh, well, it, was it was a, a privilege for us to have you as well. So well that's great. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember the night I was I happened to be in it was like a Monday night and and she turned up and she got on stage do you remember yeah yeah I remember the overtime yeah unbelievable wasn't it yeah. Unbelievable. Um, yeah yeah Carol King was there that was cool that was very cool for CJ who was the lead um yes I'm in her band and um she played Carol yeah yeah and then the real Carol King turned up uh, incredible uh, pretty that's I just thought it must have been bizarre for the audience that because it was literally, I'm sure it was like a Monday night or something like that. And right. I remember, you know, like the, just the crowd had just watched, a, you know, a show about this woman's life. And then after the bows, she actually comes on stage and yeah, yeah, yeah. they lost their shit. They really did. It was amazing. Um, She's the real thing, man. Uh, I mean, oh, yeah. All that music, her and James Taylor. And, uh, I mean, it, I didn't, I must, to my shame, actually, I didn't realize quite how much she'd written before I did the show. I was like, Oh, she wrote that as well. Like every time you turn the page, I, went, I didn't know she wrote that. You know, yeah. I knew there's a few which I knew, but I wasn't an expert. Yeah, man. Even near, you know, and uh, it was like, wow, that's incredible. Yeah. The, the output, ridiculous. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. so what are your, other than beautiful, what are your other favorites that you've done? Um, well, the first ever one I did, just because it was so much fun, and I was about 24 or something, it was uh, Jerry Springer, the opera. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, it, uh, it, I mean, that was really hard as well right. it was like uh written by this guy called richard thomas who's a also a comic a, a comedian uh like a comic writer yeah um i and he's i don't think he's like sort of trained but he's amazing i mean his harmony and everything is completely incredible you know um it's almost like kenny wheeler you know it's, he's incredibly incredibly talented and very nice man um uh the reason i'm saying pointing out that he's not trained is because the harmony was so sort of classical, like modern classical Kenny Wheeler-esque right. that it was a surprise, you know, um, that it, somebody could just come up with that stuff without having been to school for it, you know. But yeah. yeah, I mean, he wrote such great music and the guitar parts were great and I had some really good friends in the band. And, you know, that stage in your life, everything's fresh and new. It was brilliant. So yeah. I, I love doing that. 
Um, I mean, they've all had something. Hairspray was really good fun. Uh, I, I, I remember actually um, when I got asked to do that gig when Hairspray came into the West End and um, when it started in the West End, it was already on Broadway. And I had, um, I wanted to find out what the guy in America, because sometimes when the Americans come over, they want you to use the same yes. equipment that the people yep. on Broadway. So I was like, have you got the guy in America's uh, email address? So they said, yeah, he's, okay, his name's John. Here's his email. I was like, okay, cool. So I emailed him. I was like, okay, no, John. Blah, 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 blah. And I got an email back and I was like, John, John. Oh, and it was John Harrington. And hmm. I didn't realize I'd sent him the email and I'd replied to it without even, you know, John Harrington, they're a place to steady down now. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, um, also, I just fabulous, like really well. He was like, I'm really into it, but I didn't put two and two together. I was like, wow. Oh, it's John Errington, you know, like, <laughs> like and I've just gone, oh, all right, mate, what pedals are you using? Like that. Like, I, like, I love you. You're brilliant. <laughs> but yeah, he was doing that. And um, uh, so, yeah, Hairspray was great. Anything where you get to play out. But I mean, I, I think it's always fun because nine times out of 10, you're with your mates. Yeah. You know, and that's really, well, that's how we know each other, isn't it? It's like, yeah. And you end up being with familiar people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. see, you see, you know, for anybody who's listening to this who doesn't know that scene, you know, in the West End, there's certain pubs which all the musos go to between shows, did before COVID, and yeah, hopefully yeah, yeah. again next month. Yes. Um, so you got to know everyone. It was brilliant. Even if, even if you, I mean, I remember doing 42nd Street for six months or something, and it was like, I wasn't, the music's not my, really my favourite thing in the world, very good orchestrations, but Sure. Yeah, I probably wouldn't listen to it, and um, but I still had a great time because you're playing. I'm in an orchestra, and you know all my mates are there. So yeah, we should quickly, you know, to finish up, we should talk about. We haven't really spoken about gear or anything like that. So give me your uh, currently, because I know things change for everybody quite, you know, from time to time. Give me your current favorite uh, guitar or guitars. Oh, that's changed as well. Shall I show you? I'm in my sure. Um, so this is my. Sorry, bear with me for a second. This is my baby. This is a. I've got three guitars which I would save from the building. This is my number one. This is a 1967 Gibson 335. Beautiful. It's just uh, that's the the best thing that I've ever bought. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Uh, did you it. did you change the pickups in it? No, they're original. All original. Uh, P not P A F. The one after it's P A C. So the one after P A S, but before the T tops. I think it's P A C. Okay. Yeah, they are PAS, but they have the number. Yeah, something like that. Nice. Um, so that that is that's my number one. Beautiful. So man. That's from that's from 1967. And I've got two others. So if you ask, you're going to get it. Absolutely, please, please. Um, I mean, they're all the wrong way around, but it's fine. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, it's, right, it's, it's not right for this podcast, is it? <laughs> so uh, this is also from 1967. That's a Telecaster Rosewood board, though. I kind of like a slightly more. That looks like it's in bloody good condition. Oh, it's a refin. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 entirely original. Uh, actually, apart from this, which is a Dimasio. Okay. Uh, because the original pickup, which I've got, didn't sound very good. It was really weak. The the treble pickup sounds amazing, but this one didn't just net pickup didn't sound good. So I put well. Dimasio in. The original one is up there somewhere. Um, and then my strap, which is uh, um. This is quite an interesting guitar, actually. So when I bought it, because I, I was prepared to spend, I thought I better get a good strap. 
as uh, you know now i'm a grown up i should have probably have something which isn't you know <laughs> a jap strap from 1983 <laughs> um uh it, it i was prepared to spend a bit of money and like get a 62 or something and i tried a few out and i thought well yeah, they're nice you know i went down denmark street tried a few and um they're nice but i don't really feel that i would i would have you know spent borrowed 12 grand or whatever it was to yeah to buy one and i thought well you know they're, they're good you know the ones that i tried but nothing i wasn't really getting out of a custom shop one to be honest uh, sure you know. and then i picked up what was this and it had this is a 64 neck okay. and the pickups are 64 and the knobs and a few bits and pieces are original well so the, yeah basically the necks like that brazilian rosewood thing with the clay dots and the pickups they're original but it had a, i think it was like 69 or 70s white body no one was quite sure because it was a bit bastardized and dug, dug out. So it had a different neck and a different body. But I picked it up and it just rang. It, went, actually, it didn't just ring, but the neck was, I was like, that's the one. The neck is so beautiful. Right. Uh, like it had that feel which you can't really get from the customer. Sure. Shop. It was just beautiful. Um, but the body was quite heavy. So eventually I was like, I'm going to get someone to make me a body. The body wasn't anything special really. It was like very late 60s, early 70s. So that can be a bit heavy. And it was, yeah. like, it was all right, you know. But it sounded... The guitar sounded great, but I wasn't into the body. So I got this a chap called Scott Cameron, who I think is Irish. I never actually spoke to him. We just exchanged emails. He made me this body. I, I, I got him to make it look a bit like Mike Randall's one. Amazing. Uh, and it's relics, but in a, in a way which really, you know, you can only get if it's one bloke doing it, not production line. You know? Yeah, so, of course. I mean, it's very, it's quite hard to tell for me, you know, um, even up close. It looks very impressive the way it's done. Nice. Um, so yeah, so it's half sixty-four, half brand new. That's brilliant, and it you know, totally and hundred percent yours, which is the best thing. Hundred you know percent, I mean? yeah, 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 yeah. So those three guitars, really, because they're like mine. I've got PRSs and you know Taylors and those sort sure. of guitars. Like they're brilliant, but you can always buy another one. But these, of course, kind of mine. Yeah. Things, you know. What are you um? What are you using in terms of amplification at the moment for the most of what you're doing? Uh, well, my fa I've got a Dumble clone, which okay. is made by a company called Red Plate, which yep. is probably my favourite uh, uh, guitar amp. Uh, a little Princeton, which I love. Yeah, it's got upgraded speakers. I don't know what they are. Um, uh, and yeah, that's it really. I've got I've got a few of the DI things. This is a new thing called a Milkman amp, which is pretty cool. I haven't tried. I, I've heard very little about them. What are they like? Are they good? Really good. I wonder if I think I've velcroed this down. But... Oh, don't worry. If it's, yeah, don't worry. Right, so that's it. Right now. Um, it's this little fella. It's an amp. But okay. it's got a cabinet ceiling on the back as well. But yeah. It's actually an amp. It's got a 12AX7 in there. Oh, okay. Um, so nice. So it's, it, you put it on your pedal board and you go direct in with the yep. captain and you can use all your pedals. Which of is course. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it feels much better to me. Sorry, Kemper, but it feels better than the Kemper. It feels more like an amp. But the downside is you've only got one amp, whereas... Yeah, of course. You've got all the amps. Yeah, so you then rely more on pedals and you're getting less yeah. variation. But hey, it's a good, you know, sometimes it's what you want is just a um a good yeah. single solid sound just to build on to stick all your stuff on top, you know. And if yeah. you've got something that yeah. saves space, oh I'll check it out, man. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's really worth it. It's it's good. I like it. Excellent. That's it. Right, Adam Goldsmith, thank you very much. Well, thank you very much. That's all right. Thanks Take for care. coming.